0: Hey, everybody, the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello Detroit and the world, welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Zoom platform in partnership with the Audio Wave Network Studios inside the Stottelmeyer Wellness Hub, sponsored by the Ford Foundation, and we are also a content partner to com. Happy Black History Month, everybody. We are so excited to be celebrating Black History Month with you all month long, so be sure to strap in for the ride. I am Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you so much for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Now, today, we are so excited to welcome ECN east side legend, Alberta Tinsley Talabi, ECN Truth to Power Award winner, Brenda Butler, and the queen of the east side, Edith Ford. Alberta, Brenda, Edith, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Three queens. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. Three queens, uh, three legends in your own right, who both have um uh so much so much wood to stand on and the work that you have done on the east side in our community is the wood that continues to burn the fire that you all still have uh for this community and we donna and i are so very honored that the three of you have chosen to spend some time with us uh most of y'all i've known for a long time miss alberta and i go way way back (laughs) <laughs> it's so good to see y'all.
1: Yes,
0: you used yes. to have an office in our
2: building at Mac Development Woo! when uh, we was uh, had them two mice, Charlie and Chuck.
0: Oh and, yeah, before before <laughs> the renovation, and I was before still doing the like, renovation development stuff. Yes, eat yeah. it <laughs> Wow,
3: that's wow. it. Oh. Yeah, and I was when
4: Alberta uh, when she first became a city council member and I was working as an appointee in the Bill Lucas, our first Wayne County Executive Office, and I just admired her from day one. Mm -hmm. And to be here with her today is just an honor. Our honorable- The honorable. Just Alberta, just Alberta.
1: (laughs)
3: And that's why we no love you. That's, that's why we love you because you um, you bring it. So you're just such a real person. But I have to say, last week um, we had a community meeting, as you know, for Black History Month, and we decided to engage in a little storytelling. And I just wasn't ready for the stories that came out. I did not know it. I, I didn't. First of all, I, I thought I knew everything about Edith's family, and I didn't know didn't even scratch the surface. I've heard the stories. I didn't scratch the surface. And Brenda, oh my goodness. Your stories and your history is just, it's Black history for sure. I want to put you up on my page. And then, of course, you know, I knew um, Alberta when I was a young woman. And um, I was admiring her, a little intimidated. She was on city council doing her thing. And I know Mac alive. And just somebody who has brought so much energy and joy to um, leadership. But then to find out some of what you've done, even above and beyond what I already knew. I knew about Alive, I knew about the parades, I knew about your service at city council and the state house, but I had no idea some of the other things you said. And we said, everybody needs to know this. So let's get it on Authentically Detroit because this is what black history is made of. I think I walked away last week with a clear understanding that we are really, really um, a community of wonderful people. Who've done wonderful things and live here by choice and continue to give to other people. Um, so I love all three of you. I'm so excited to have you here so everybody can hear what we heard. Um, I mean, I
0: mean who are making history, oh, who goodness. have made history. It is, yeah. it is really, it's really something. I you know, I'm I'm 32 years old and I do not ever remember a Detroit without an Alberta Tinsley Talabi fighting for the East Side and fighting oh, for Mac Avenue, goodness. way back to Uh, you know, New Rising Star Missionary Baptist Church with my grandfather, Reverend Dr. William Holly. I mean, listen, listen, (laughs) come on now, come on. When
1: I leave my church service and come to New Rising Star every Sunday, I would leave and come to New Rising Star. (laughs) When
2: I was a kid, Alberta's dad owned that building where Mac Alive was. Wow, my grandpa used yeah, her grandpa, and and if you didn't have a place to stay, you could get you a spot in that building. Like that's how the love was. It like no, we didn't tolerate people being homeless in the hood. That that didn't happen. Oh,
0: right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we we could we could get into it for real, but we we gotta we okay. gotta uh just ask everybody uh real quick uh just a quick round robin. It's Tuesday. It's the beginning of the week. How you doing, Brenda? How are you?
4: I'm well, Orlando. Just excited. I uh, had a busy day today. Uh, just trying to solve problems in our community. And I just think we had a successful meeting earlier today that we'll probably share a little of it with you, with you later.
0: All right. Alberta, how are you today? How are you feeling?
1: In the words of the great Negro anthem, I feel like running on. <laughs> I
0: love it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. <laughs> I ain't no waste time.
0: Yeah, mm, I come too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't
1: start that now. I know we're gonna have church up in here now.
2: <laughs> Edith, how are you? I'm feeling I'm good. I'm feeling motivated. My morning started out with my favorite song by Sounds of Blackness. Hold on, change is coming.
0: Yeah, I've
2: been in my gym shoes running for folks all day, going to meets, cutting up, kicking up a little dust, and um, I'm I'm feeling good. All
0: right, and my trusted co-host. partner in crime donna gibbons davis you know Hi. listen
3: coming Hi. up behind yes. these legends i am great okay <laughs> <laughs> i <a> favorite okay
0: <laughs> i love it all right y'all it is it is time for hot takes where we run down some of this week's top headlines in the city of detroit For hot takes, we want to talk about the basement backup and flood protection program that was recently rolled out. Donna, you got a lot to say about this. What say you?
3: I do. I just want to understand how it's even acceptable to say that you're going to begin a program um, and eligibility for a program in a hardest hit area that's in a whole community. So um, they say, okay, we're going to address the needs inside of this community and help address flooding in these homes and protect them through backup valves and by investigating what's causing the flooding. And actually, ECN has a program, Rain Ready Homes. It's already seeking to do that on a much smaller scale. So that's the good news, right? But they said we're going to start in two neighborhoods. One of them is um, um, Victoria Park, which I didn't know was a neighborhood, and the other one is aviation. Park on the west side. How do you start in a gated community, a program to protect homes and not deal with the homes outside those gates? And what they I heard is, <laughs> these are two of the hardest hit areas. And I was talking to just another wonderful person today. And she said, I live just outside the gate. Does the gate stop the water? Does the water, what, what, what in the world is going on here? And so I think that we have a real issue around equity and justice. Now they say that after that they're going to move on and they're going to um, have, they're, they're going to do work in a few other neighborhoods, the other neighborhoods being um, East English Village, Chadsey Condon, let me get all the neighborhoods together, um, Cornerstone, Bart McFarland, Garden View, Morningside, Morass Moran, Warrendale, and then finally come to Jefferson Chalmers. They're going to start that in July. And that is going to run from July to December 2024. So you heard me. July so they coming to my
2: neighborhood. Right. So, so um, what, before so I move on, we have Crawford.
3: somebody in the waiting room. Does anybody know Sherita Crawford? I do. Okay, yes, that's my cousin. Okay. I'll admit her. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just understand. Okay. So, um. so yeah, we're, we are, um, if you're in one of those 11 neighborhoods, you can apply now. Now, everybody on this call probably knows that when we had the flooding this summer, we had over 200 people show up asking for help because of flooding inside of their homes. And the 200 people did not live in those 11 neighborhoods. There were people who live in every neighborhood. I'm trying to understand why we live in a city where we decide this is a geography where people get help and this is a geography where people don't get help. I'm trying to understand how a taxpayer who lives outside these walls has benefits that a taxpayer who lives inside these walls does not have. And there's no timetable. If this is running until December, 2024, you're not gonna get there. And my final question about this is, isn't there ARPA funding? Doesn't the state, the city have a budget they're planning on requesting from the state for infrastructure funding? Isn't the city requesting $35 million right now to remove I-375 in the name of social justice? First you get rid of all the black people, get rid of all the black owned businesses, then years later, you repair, you you tear down this freeway and decide this is what social justice is. I'm thinking $35 million in a city with flooding and the kind of issues we have has a better use. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's we'll not agree. a cool downtown.
4: So I we'll agree. Wonder. And to demolish the, the 375 uh for a walking path. Right. Okay. That's the purpose that was told.
3: Well, it's going to be more than walking path. You're going to yeah. see high rises. You're going to see new developments, cool new well, things for that cool new population that slum clearance made possible. And I, think, I was
0: getting ready to say, is it isn't it supposed to be a recognition of what was? Is that the narrative that's being cascaded that um, want to repair um, what the the community that was that was raised? If I mean. Had-
3: if they put $35 million in there for reparations, we could have that conversation. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Right.
4: And also the, uh, the, the apartments are already going up, uh, Donna, I didn't mean just walking past the apartments are already going, already going up, almost ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: That's course. right. Uh, by rebar.
2: It's, it's just a way to push us out. And like, we had an event with the coalition Saturday at the commons. And since my family was so my grandmother moved to the trade, her family in 1917. So as a historian, we're going to start at 1840 when it was a, a, a riot because they slave catchers came to try to take back the, the black, the Blackburn couple. And the black people in the community, two women broke into jail, women now, and got the woman out, got the wife out, Ruthah and got her over to Canada. And then later on, the men went and got the man, the husband, and got him out. It was a riot. The whites in the city were angry. They rioted. The black people went to jail. And then they set up, requirements if they were out on the street after eight o'clock they had to carry a lantern they could not be out without that lantern and then eventually they decided every black resident so if you got six kids every one of them including you had to pay five hundred dollar bond to stay in detroit and most of the residents moved and went to windsor in canada And so then we come up to when my grandmother moved here, they were barber surgeons. They had money. They came from Tennessee. They got their first place in in the Eastern Market. And they decided to expand the Eastern Market. They bought a building with with a shop at the bottom and they lived in the flats upstairs. Of course, when they expanded the Eastern market, they tossed them out of there and they gave the white store owners a lot of money for their property. And they gave my grandparents' parents pennies on the dollar, but they come from oppression. So they already had saved their pennies, Um, but they were still cheated. They left there and bought a house on Hendrix, which was in the black bottom and open another barbershop, which is now the 375 service drive. I have the address and pictures of them in front of it and everything. And I went over there, it's now the 375 service drive. They ended up, that that was called Urban Renewal. And they put them out of that shop when they did the 375. So now we come to this point and here we go again. Now it's tax scams and schemes, getting people out of their home and out of their generational wealth. It's like a pattern. When when does the city say, hey, we need to give you reparations for this? Like this is the reparation is the housing justice because this city has put Black people out time and time again. When my grandmother moved on Fisher Street, she could pass for white. And her white father had to come with her to buy this house. And the neighbors were about to burn her out the house when she moved in with my Black grandfather, who had a white mother, but he was brown. She just could pass. So it's, it's a continued history. And one thing Alberta said, we can't have a mac alive parade this year. We got to have a march for housing justice this year down Mac. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. It's the same thing with the flooding. I just spent $1,200 to have my system hydro-jetted. And the guy came back with the pictures and said, this is the city's fault. They have oil and silt in your line. They were supposed to come and hydro-vac my line. What they did is put the garbage from that was on the alley back in my line again.
3: So before we go on to that, that's great history and I think that the Blackburn story has to be my favorite story, because you know what? It just shows we, it, we, the, the, what, listen, we've the we been rebellious people and we've been demanding things for a long time in Detroit. Right. But before we go into that, it seems like that was the subject of a meeting that was held this afternoon. This discrepancy. Is that true, Brenda?
4: Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, we talked about this flooding and we talked about uh, the information that the community requests from local government uh, is not being returned to us in an intelligent and proper manner. So we had uh, one of the department of Neighborhoods representative, the deputy of district five to attend our meeting and the questions that were asked of him about the flooding and the claims, he wanted to dance around the question and the questions were asked by uh one council. So I had to inform him that, I know he's a new Department of Neighborhoods representative, but I had to inform him that the purpose of him coming to our meetings is when we have concerns that he takes them to the department directors and their deputies and when he cannot get an answer then when he meets when they when the department of neighborhood representatives meet with the mayor on wednesdays then that's when you report that you can't get answers because he kept saying he was more or less, he has to pull teeth to get answers. So I told him that that would not work with our group. You, you would not be pulling teeth. We need answers, and we need answers to some of our questions that we request within five business days and not wait for the next meeting. And you will be sending that information to us via email so that we can stay on top of what's going on. And we can go intelligently and explain it to our neighbors.
0: Exactly. Alberta, I wanted to I want to bring you in on this because I think uh, what Brenda um, and Edith are getting at is you know accountability toward a city government being responsive um, and being held accountable. You, you sat on city council for years um, and are beloved on the east side. What, what is the responsibility and role of responsiveness that city government is supposed to have to its citizens?
1: First and foremost, to respond to those whom you serve, the people and the needs in our community. I want to remind everyone, that you need to be reminded, But as we speak this evening, the state, the county, and the city are, quote, unquote, flushed with cash. Because billions, billions of dollars were sent to the state. Almost 1.5 billion sent to the city. Huge amounts of money. And they can't understand that this flooding that's occurred needs to be a priority? They, they, are they tone deaf? Yeah. Don't they get it? How could you even begin to say you're addressing the needs of the people and folks suffered? And we're talking about those who are able to speak up. What about the seniors who live alone? What about those who don't have children or living on either side of them is an empty lot? What about those with no voice? I mean, I know they say they sent people into the community and all of that. Then they must have heard the cry of the people. And the cry of the people was, we need to be made whole. And I'd rather see those that billion dollars, just give us $500 million of it to make people whole, to make yeah. certain that their basements don't flood again, to pay for all the things that, my God, if you drove down Jefferson Chalmers during that time, it looked like an incredible sight. that was just furniture and refrigerators and stoves and all in front of every home. It was so disheartening to see that. And then to hear that people have to fight to be made whole, I got a problem with that.
3: And stand in line, and stand in line. You know, the whole neighborhood was underwater. And we talked about when the water goes away, what's left is black mold, what's left is bacteria, What's left is broken appliances. What's left is lost furniture. Um, so you have permanent damage made to people's homes and just not enough money. You know, the ECM replaced 30 hot water tanks. That's a drop in the bucket. I know JEI has been replacing hot water tanks. That's a drop in the bucket. We're talking about, you know, this week it's a balmy 30 some degrees, but last week we were 20 degrees, 15 degrees outside, and we have people living in homes without working furnaces, which were destroyed by the floods. FEMA didn't take care of them. Glewa didn't take care of them. Um, what was what that, Great Lakes Water Authority, let me, you know, um, the, the Detroit Water and Sewage Department didn't take care of them. So these people are still struggling living right now. They're human beings. We don't have cleaning services enough to go into these homes. So even while we talk about the fact that people are waiting in line what the city is offering is $6,000 per home, which is a drop in the bucket It is not what's needed. I think that you're right. I mean, absolutely, you're right that there's millions of dollars. And it's a question of priority. There are acts of commission in racism. And there are acts of omission, where I just don't do what's necessary to preserve your health but to preserve life. And in so doing, some people will not be able to afford to stay in their homes. We know that um, Jeff Chalmers is a neighborhood of choice, right? It's a strategic neighborhood. And you have people living in the Jeff Chalmers neighborhood who can't afford to stay here. And so some people will leave. Their houses will go on the market. Those houses will be purchased by people who can't afford to make the repairs, and replace everything, and we will have something that nobody's talking about, which is green gentrification. That is where climate change is creating a force for gentrification based on how the city is investing its money. You can't say this is a priority neighborhood and put it last on the list. And within this neighborhood, put the gated community that was created inside of this neighborhood first over the people who are living in houses, which are older and probably more vulnerable than the houses in there. And might I add, that there are many houses inside of the um, Victoria Park where people have already done their, uh, put in their backup valves and everything like that. Some of those houses didn't flood because people had already invested because they had the money and the knowledge in the repairs necessary to stop the flooding. It's it's ridiculous. I've heard numbers like maybe about 100 people in Victoria Park and 500 people in aviation, whatever it is, it's wrong. And I think we have to fight back. I think we have to... um, call attention to the fact that it should not matter what zip code you live in in the city of Detroit to determine whether you get help. We know that the zip codes that you live and determine how long you live. There's a lot of study that will show that zip codes make that determination. But when you have public policy adding to that, why isn't anybody going into Chandler Park? Chandler Park's not on the list. The West End is not on the list. None of the good stock area is on the list for repairs. And a lot of those people's homes flooded as well. They lost things as well. Their lives matter as well. And I hate to say, you shouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter in the Blackest City in America, but I know that um, it's probably time for us to have that conversation right now.
4: And Donna, well, uh, as you mentioned Chandler Park, I'm a resident of Chandler Park. I live at uh, right at I-94 East Service Drive between Chalmers and East Outer Drive. The Connor Creek flows down Connor up up under I-94. We had cars floating on the freeway in that area. I am currently relocated out of my home because I have a collapsed sewer line and you cannot speak with anyone with DWSD The claims that were processed, uh, I watched the city council meeting, I stay on top of what's going on. And the last presentation that was made by G. Gliwa and DWSD, the presentation included how many uh, claims they had to process, how they weren't prepared to process these claims. And they also said that, oh, it's so many claims, it's more claims than the 2014 flood. Mm -hmm. There was a commitment to the city council with that presentation to get back with the city council with an update on the processing of those claims. Our old city council is now gone. That presentation was not had to this date. We do not have an update. On how many claims have been processed by DWSD.
0: Brenda, how long have you been displaced from your home?
3: Uh since August. Wow. So I have a question. Brenda, wow. you know, we talked about this. I think it's important because people are hearing this, and as well wonderful as we know you are, tell some of your history. I want people to hear who you are. Um, not just what's happening to you. Share some of your history. Don't start me to
4: crying, Donna. All right. Okay. I'm a coal miner's daughter from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and when I say coal miner's daughter, I'm a coal miner's daughter and granddaughter. Uh my grandfather was a coal miner in in the 40s. Uh my grandfather was also a minister and a civil rights activist. My grandfather was killed by the Sheriff Department in Jefferson County and the security team of the coal miners, which was a part of U.S. Steel. The reason for the death of my grandfather was that he put a note over a fence in the neighborhood where the coal miners had homes. Uh, The coal miners at that time, the US still would build row houses for the coal miners to live in. Although my grandfather had his own home and church which were actually right across the street from each other. So, when my grandfather was walking home from work um they arrested him and said that he put this note through a note over the fence to a white girl that he wanted to know when could he when could she meet him when will she be available to meet him? However, with the case going to court, my grandfather's family. My grandmother and her children, and and aunts and uncles, we never saw. No one ever saw this note that my grandfather was supposedly have put over this fence to this young lady. The case was settled by U.S. Steel and given my grandmother ten thousand dollars. And at that time, my grandmother and my grandfather had thirteen kids. I was born in 1947. My grandfather was killed in 1949. Mm-hmm. So I never had to, the opportunity to enjoy my grandfather. So. As a result of my grandfather uh, being in the civil rights, being a civil rights activist activist, I did not know that until I was 14, 15 years old. And I was one of the first students in Birmingham, Alabama during the civil rights movement uh, to walk out of school uh, for my civil rights. I spent 10 days in jail, in the Birmingham jails, actually from Birmingham, Alabama to Bessma, they moved us around every night. So when, Martin Luther King wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail. I was in jail. Wow, I also worked on i was the young uh the young teenagers that worked on voter registration. I know you hear the stories that in some of the southern cities uh in order to become a registered voter, you had to count jelly beans. well, in the state of Alabama, in order for black people to become registered voters, you had to answer 10 civic questions about Birmingham. So the Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth and a team of other civil rights uh, activists came to Birmingham and started a voter registration campaign. And they thought that it would be best to get the students to work with them at the time The training center was set up at a building attached to the Reverend A.D. King's church, which is the First Baptist Church in Inslee, and Reverend A.D. King is the brother of Reverend Martin Luther King. So we set up these training workshops, and you maybe you go out two days a week or three days a week knocking on doors to encourage your black neighbors to come and learn the answer to these questions so that you could uh, become a registered voter. And we did this in summer months and we were from, so like here we got Highland Park, Hamtramck, East side and so forth. So that's how our surrounding neighborhoods were. So we walked door to door in 90 to 100 degree weather to register our neighbors to become registered voters, to train them how to answer those questions. And Mm -hmm. the day that I went to jail we were called at our high school into an assembly. And the superintendent of the Birmingham school sent a letter to all the principals across the city uh, with the instructions that if we marched that day, that we would A, not get promoted from the grade that we were in. If you were going to graduate from high school, you were not, would not graduate. Now, mind you, this was in May and our school ended for the summer at the end of May. So you have already studied the whole semester, but if you go March in this March, civil rights March, you will lose all of that for that semester. So we went, we left our school, we walked out, of the school while our principal was reading this letter from the superintendent and went to the 16th street baptist church where the four young ladies were killed later and from there we were put in paddy wagons and taken to jail and we went from the jefferson county jail to the city jails. they moved us like every two hours because we feel all the jails in Birmingham. My boy, my boy. Yeah, Lord. Oh, say to say Lord.
3: you have paid a lot of dues.
4: Yes, and still paying them. And still paying them. And for someone to tell me today that the Supreme Court Uh, Voted down our right to vote, and I am now 75 years old, and I was participating in voter registration when I was 15. It really hurts my heart.
2: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, we did a lot of work out there. I'm not as old as you, Brenda, but we was out there, too, because my grandparents... And, and my uncle was in union organizing and civil rights. And we would be protesting from Michigan to Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. We, and it's just like unbelievable that it's like going backwards. Yeah.
1: It's
3: going it backwards.
2: Really the violence is back. Like when I was a kid and I lived in Detroit, I tell young people, they say, I don't vote, I don't do this and that. I said, when I was a kid, the police could pull over and beat you down. Like your dad could be leaving off to go to work Arrest. and they find him beat up on Bilal. Like they, like our moms would be running into school to get us all out of school. Like we wouldn't know what was going on and we would find out somebody's dad or somebody got beat up by the police. And I, And it wasn't just in the South, it was up here too.
0: Can we? Can I want to spend some time on the importance of um, democratic participation, and I'm going to bring Alberta into the conversation as as a habitual candidate who appeared on many ballots uh, for for many years, whether it's the state house or uh, the Detroit City Council um, ballot. How important is number one democratic participation? And number two, what is the role, especially on part of those who are seeking um, and who hold elective office to enshrine democratic participation and a right to vote in politics?
1: Thank you, Orlando. But I first want to say to my sister and the, um, this terrifying story she just shared with us that I feel my whole body, is feeling what she shared with us just now. Okay. And I appreciate so much. And I thank God that you're here to tell the story. Yes. And thank you. You know, I just want our kids to know, we need to be going in these schools, the three of us, and talking to our children so that they can understand the price that was paid and that folks, it's real. It's real. And so, in terms of your question, um, what happened on the Supreme Court today happened because someone elected a president. Some folks selected a president who appointed people who shared his values, who mm. did not give a damn about Black people and all that we've been through and the, our rights. And that, that which happened today. It's an, affront. it's an affront to all of us. And it's another reason why America will never be right as long as she keeps her, neck, her foot on the necks of Black people. And this was a good example of it, what happened today. It needs to be spoken about. It needs to be talked about. And people have to understand, we must come out and vote in masses. It's a crying shame that we feel happy if we get 20% of the people to vote. That means one out of every five makes a decision for who's going to lead. And those numbers really need to change because we know the price that was paid. You just shared, Brenda, the price that was paid. And we have to become serious about this thing. And I'll be sixty-eight on my next birthday. I ain't got time to play.
3: Okay, but you know, you got to, you've you've got to get, said, get to work. You said some things last week that I, I'm still shook by. I'm be honest. I was like, whoa, when you were talking about some of the housing statistics and things that are happening, and you talked about homeownership and things that you have done on a personal and sacrificial level to make things happen. And I'll say this too: we need to vote, and we need candidates who are running to make wrong right. One of the reasons people don't vote is because they don't have any sense that anybody is fighting for them. So it's it's on both ends, right? Register people to vote. But we need to know people are fighting for them. Can you share? I mean, you've done so much. we, We don't have time enough to really talk about all that you've done. But if you could just share a portion of it, a portion and also the concern you raised last week related to housing. I think that's so significant. Um, Even as people are running for Congress in the 13th district, so significant to talk about these issues. Donna, Donna, before we
4: go to that, let's just talk about um, the vote. Um, First thing that has to be done in this country is the Democratic Party has to tell the truth. Mm. Mm. We have been told ever since we were voters in my generation that you are a Democrat and you vote Democrat. The truth needs to be told that you are not a member of the Democratic Party unless you pay dues. Mm. That is not being told to our generation and to our people, and that has to be told. We are giving our votes to Democratic candidates, but we are not being recognized as Democrats. So, what happens is when the conventions are happening across the nation in the Democratic Party, you got a select few that you have informed that they are to pay dues to the democratic party and they make our decisions, And so that's where the problem lies.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Teach, you know, and I'm going to say this, and I do want to get to that a few years ago, people were running for office. And I said, um, to people who were running for congressional and other offices, I had a friend who was running actually to lead the, the democratic national convention. Um, when, um, Tom, Perez came to Detroit, he came to uh, my friend's church and he was talking and everybody I talked to, I said, we need to run on housing. We're in a housing crisis in this nation. What are your housing solutions? Well, we just need to raise people's income. And if you raise people's income, if we increase the minimum wage, people can get housing as if that's the issue. Well, we need to make people homeowners because whatever, but nobody at the DNC level wanted to run on housing. And I put that on them. OK, they were responsible for developing a platform. They were responsible. I was pointing out statistics and then you think I was crazy. It's actually little videos of me at Tom Perez when he was talking crazy. I'm sorry he was talking and he was sort of like putting the burden back on voters, putting the burden back on us. You are running for these offices. You are leading the initiatives. You are responsible for having a vision that motivates people. You are responsible for helping talk to people's pain points. Our people are homeless. Our people are trying to figure out how to survive and they need to know people care. Elizabeth Warren did have a plan. That's why I supported Elizabeth Warren because Elizabeth Warren was talking about housing. And that's, I was like, whoa, that's the first person I heard talking about housing. was
0: completely ignored by the DNC.
3: Completely ignored. And this is still not top of mind. It's still not top of mind. We heard um, a statistic. I think that um, Governor Whitmer was talking about how we need to develop all this new housing. And so she put some money in the budget, and she said, with this, the state of Michigan will create 2,000 new units of housing. 2,000 units of housing is not enough for Detroit. How is it enough for the state? We're pennies where we need to put our big dollars. We don't need to destroy I-375. We need to take that money and invest it in housing. But I do want to give, because I did ask the question, I just really feel passionate about housing as a central issue in the lives of our people. Um, housing wealth, housing everything, um, but um, Alberta, you said something that was so mesmerizing and um, just important for everybody to know.
1: Well, there are a few things uh, that I'd like, first of all, if you don't mind, let me, uh, all of you knew Marjorie Henry, correct? Yes. Yeah. Remember Marjorie Henry? Someone called and, and she passed. That woman was a stalwart in our community over there on Alder Drive and uh, Gratiot. I just wanted to bring up the name Marjorie Henry.
3: But Thank you. For as it relates to
1: housing, mm-hmm. let me say this. I believe in my heart and in my soul that if you were born in a household where your parents own the home, there's a good possibility you will be a homeowner yourself. Not a guarantee, but a good possibility. Yes. I'll repeat the stat that all of us know home ownership is the greatest way to wealth building in America. And America, again, has done wrong by black people because after World War II and the GI Bill, it was written, and guess who was written out of it? It yes. they built homes in the suburbs for the white soldiers and didn't build yes. jack for black people. And so we built their generation I mean, if you start out of race. race if mm-hmm. you start out a race and you're already behind, how the hell are you gonna catch up? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a miracle. We are, resi- we are resilient people and we keep on, despite, the scorn that America has had all these years for us. But in my neighborhood, and we all know this, we drive, if you drive down Kirchhoff and Van dyke you wouldn't even know it today. You've got a hundred units on Van Dyke and Kirchhoff. Down the street, you've got another unit, 30 units. Up and down Van Dyke, you've got new units. And, and what I said was that if you add those units up and you count the number of homes, that are single family between Mac and Jefferson and mm-hmm. St. G and probably the Boulevard, those few apartments go, are greater than the single homes in that community. And I can tell you that on Pennsylvania, we once had 40 houses on my street between Kirchhoff and Verner. Today, we have six, mm-hmm. six homes. And that story is repeated. You go to uh, Kerchival and Crane, and you can see all, all the way damn near to the Renaissance Center. I mean, no, nothing, no no homes, nothing. Of course, they've got plans for it beyond the gentleman and his trees. I just feel that we have to teach us even now. It's not too late. It's not too late. We need to be purchasing everything that's still standing and right now I can tell you between Mac and Jefferson it's tight it's not a whole lot going on I mean because everything's been brought up but the next grave area that people are attract will be attracted to is between Mac and Warren and there are lots of homes over there that you know, summer. We don't have One any more left
2: over. We don't have any more left over here either, because we uh, two years ago well, we were trying to buy up any houses we could buy and make development to rehab.
1: There,
2: there aren't any. Well, so I'm talking about
1: that- Saint Clair, Harding. But it, I just know for a fact that we need to do what we can now. I told you last time we spoke. I personally believe that no, if okay, this is just me. If you own five homes, why not find a person who lives in one of those homes and help them become a homeowner so their family can have something? Yeah. And I believe for every five homes, you need to do that. I ain't just talking to talk. I'm walking the walk. because I gave two young men homes that I own on Cadillac. And I don't even think about it because it was the right thing to do. And when you do the right thing, God protects you from everything.
2: Amen. Amen. We have a lady that's a New Detroiter in our neighborhood. Um, she's um, She moved in. She's married to a gentleman that was raised in a thatched roof in Argentina. Mm-hmm. They buy homes and they rent to own with with the neighbors. Or if somebody's getting their home foreclosed, they'll buy it for for them. And then they can pay them back. And then um, they have sold five of their houses. Like they only, they just, whatever the rent is, is $700 or 600. That's your money to buy your house. And um, they are really pushing it because they said, for one, they never owned a home. And they're poor, you know, and um, just making a way. And we got to start doing these things and educating our young adults on how to use their money even buying up the land. Right.
3: But, uh, you know, we we have a, a young people who came of age in the midst of a housing crisis for people who thought they owned their homes, found out the bank owned mm-hmm. their homes and the bank took them back. So yeah. we have to understand what ownership is and it's not. OK, if you have a 20 percent mortgage on your home, you don't own it. Okay, you don't have a down payment on it. You don't have a claim to it. You are really leasing it from a mortgage company until you get to a point where you have real rights. And I think we saw a lot of people. And the reality is student debt is so high right now. Whoever Mm -hmm. thought that we would lend money to 18 year olds 17 year olds and say, here, you're going to have this money. And we're loaning, lending you this money. We're not necessarily doing credit counseling. And that that you have to do is like online, answer a few questions. But the reality is we have burdened an entire generation of young people with debt so high that a lot of them can't get out of debt to own a home. The reality yeah, is there are parents who are able to take money out of their homes and pay for their children's college education. So those white kids who lived in those homes, the government subsidized in mm-hmm. the FHA, we couldn't get it. And they live in neighborhoods, and Andre Perry has talked about this, they live in neighborhoods where housing values appreciate, increase over time. We live in neighborhoods where housing values stay the same, so whatever you bought the house for is going to be worth a little bit more, and it's been like that all over the nation. And so um, we have a generation that's burdened by debt, and we need to also have a conversation about that debt. Our children aren't having children because I say they can't afford it. And a lot of them feel like I can't afford children. I can't afford to get married. I can't afford to buy a home. They are delaying so many of the things because of the debt that we're in. I, that's what I'm hearing from young people. And what I'm hearing from them is a lot of frustration that in DC, student debt is not at the top of the list of priorities. And it impacts black kids more than other kids because our parents couldn't take the, the value out of our home and pay for us to go to college. Um, so I think we need to do that. And I think that when I listen to you, Alberta, talking about what you did, what you did was you created a pathway for somebody to become a homeowner without being in debt. We have all of these homes in the land bank, if we could figure out a way to translate those homes into ownership. Maybe yes. the debt is five years, but 20, 25 years of these high interest rates is too much. We've got to come up with a model for that, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. If we want things to change, if we want, everyone deserves to be the best that they can be. And, and I see young people with children. All I can think about is where are they going to rent? They can't afford $800 rent. They can't afford $500 rent. Okay, that's, that's what I see. And, and my thing is that let's help them become homeowners. That's a, that's something they can give to their children.
3: Yep. Agreed. And it's a way for have permanence in the community. You want to stop gentrification? Let people own stuff. You can't push me out if I own it. You can only push no. me out. The easiest way to turn over a neighborhood is have a neighborhood full of renters because the landlord raises the rate and people get moved out if you own where you are. And so I think an ownership campaign that really does make things affordable for people and help people know how to maintain these homes. We have a lot yeah. of homeowners who are yeah. still leaving because they cannot afford to maintain their homes. And it takes us back to the beginning where we're talking about the leaky homes. We're talking about so many things that um, electrical problems, plumbing problems inside the homes. And there's not resources really to help people deal with it. Now, again, you know, if you are living in a community where your home values are increasing, you can take some money out and fix it. But very few people have $15,000 laying around to fix a broken item in their home. You have a lot of our people who are living for
1: insurance. Uh, I can tell you that in this home I am in, 2229 Pennsylvania, where I was born, we have electrical fire. Okay, it wasn't to the cost them anything other than the fact that the house was old when I was a child, I couldn't even graduate from middle school. I didn't get to take my picture in middle school because the fire happened the night before that I was supposed to take my picture. Then there were termites. Okay, we've had termites over here. You know what a termite can do to a house? It can saw it up like a pencil, and a pencil sharpener. You know, so there are issues that cost that with home ownership. And so you it's not You want people to be whole. You don't want anyone to be worse off. But then that's where your training comes in, what you're doing at ECN, what Goodstock is doing, what Macalive is doing, doing our best to help our people be whole.
4: Mm -hmm. And also with that, uh, as we speak about rent, uh, we need to revisit that rental agreement ordinance Mm -hmm. uh, because the bulk of our landlords are out of this country or out of this state. Mm -hmm. And our, the homes that our neighbors are living in are not suitable. We also do not, when you talk about that rental agreement, uh, there are not enough inspectors in this city. Uh, Darling, remember when we had the, uh, the Housing uh, Justice Conference over at Southeastern High School.
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, that though we talked about the different landlords that were just scamming our people. So that's been what 10 years ago. And um, we just got to get into that ordinance, we got to put pressure that all of these landlords that do not live in the state of Michigan or the country take those homes for our people because that is causing the blight in our communities
0: I mean if we you just can had tell me we...
4: you could take my house but you let somebody in another state have a management company uh, uh, take care of your real estate and you're not even taking care of it. All you guys are doing is just collecting rent.
0: Yeah, a few months ago we had uh, Aaron Einhorn from NBC News and Erin Mondry from Outlier Media who wrote a story about a woman who uh, had been paying what she thought was uh, rent uh, toward the ownership of her home and come to find out that number one, the landlord was fake, so it was a fake landlord scam, but then number two, her home happens to be owned by a management company that's not placed, uh, that's not place-based here in the city of Detroit. I don't know any other scholar, probably other than uh, a seasoned city council person um, who knows ordinances better than uh, Brenda Butler knows ordinances, <laughs> that is our that is our resident uh, ordinance scholar. Um and so what does, and I think you I think you raise a great point, and I know that the mayor wrote out a campaign around uh this this rental ordinance in terms of getting these homes registered, uh, these rental homes registered, but um what what does enforcement look like? Uh what does enforcement look like for renters who don't have a lease, who are who are who are month-to-month or uh on verbal or have live in live-in landlords um, who, you know, so all 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 of it is true. I, Brenda, you also participated in a study um, uh, with University of Michigan some years ago that I helped to lead with that came up in security deposits for the Arch Architecture School of Planning out of University of Michigan that really laid bare uh the rental and home ownership disparity that is growing on the east side particularly in Chandler Park, and how that is of concern for so many residents what what are we gonna do about the enforcement of this rental code and ordinance um and mitigate the the symptom that becomes blight right so it oh so much
3: it's you know so I think much. it's important to talk about this also that a landlord is not necessarily a landlord. A rental agreement is one thing, but there are other tools these folks are using. They're entering into lease to own agreements, which are not regulated by rental agreements. They're using land contracts, which are not really regulated. And so when you have enforcement on the one hand, and you don't have an overall plan for how you are going to enforce and oversee this housing, these slippery landlords just find a way to do something else. So you're not going to see a lot of houses, single family houses right now on the rental market. They're for sale. And mm-hmm. either, there's no absolutely no protections for lease to own right now. That's mm-hmm. what I hear, heard from Ted Phillips. He said the most Dangerous thing is these lease to own agreements where you're the owner of someplace that is not good. Well, we need to make those illegal. You cannot enter into a lease to own transaction. If you try to evict somebody through that transaction, you can't get that house back. Same thing with these uh, land contracts. You need to make it difficult for people to enforce evictions when you sell somebody on a fraudulent land contract. But right now, um, there, there's very, very lax enforcement on any side of it, and that's one of the things I also learned from insecurity deposits was these landlords saying, you know, this is difficult. Now I'll say the other thing I'll say is you have a lot of landlords who are individuals, not yes. rich people, just folks who are trying to make it. Okay, and. When you have a person who is not wealthy, who's renting out a home, and you have a lot of damage to that home, the city also has not created a pool of resources to help well-meaning landlords maintain their homes.
0: Well, so,
1: That was the problem with Spivey's ordinance. Remember, he came out with that in this zip code, we're going to check every home, we're going to go into every home uh, where there's renters. But then my thing was, okay, and then what are you offering them?
3: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. To, to
4: help. And nothing.
1: Ashley, nothing.
4: And actually, Alberta, uh, he was guided to write that rental agreement, and that was to make our landlords uh black landlords comply. That was not written, written for the whole. City a rental property that was written as a new way as another way of taking property from our people. That's what that was all about, and as a, that's why I say that that rental agreement needs to be revisited
3: because it is it doesn't hold teeth. It, it doesn't. Really doesn't. Hold, it doesn't hold teeth, and it's unfair. What if we it looked at unfair. small landlords like small businesses? Okay, what if we had a Motor City match for landlords? There's so many things that we could be doing differently to help some of these small landlords succeed at what they're doing. Uh, If I had to rent a house, I'd rather rent from a small landlord than a big one any day. Okay, because you're talking about people who have some care and connection to their home. I've rented from small landlords before. Um, But we need and I actually had a conversation with Spifey in 2017 where I said to him, We need a pool of funding. You have these 0% home loans. A lot of our people can't get them. What if you created a loan pool for landlords, like a 0% loan pool? What I was told is, and you keep hearing this from the city, is that the city cannot use its resources to benefit private- Private
0: home ownership. Well,
3: tell that to private individuals cannot benefit. Let's have a conversation with Dan Gilbert, okay? A private company. (laughs) You know, let's have a conversation with the bridge company. The the lamas. <laughs> That's right. You know, it come on now. We gave them land. Yes. Yes. The villages. Yes. But the city says, well, it's for public benefit. I believe. There is a public benefit in ensuring that we have high quality housing in our community. I think there's a public benefit in preventing blight. And I believe if you move public benefit beyond benefit to large, wealthy people to benefit from the people who need it most in the neighborhoods, now we're talking. But we keep hearing this lie that the public has to benefit from every th- dollar the city spends. And we keep seeing the city spend money on things that benefit private individuals. I wanna know, and this is just a question of mine, who's gonna get paid with that $35 million they're gonna use to demolish ICE 375?
0: Who's the contractor? If if it really happens. Who who, who, who are the vendors? Who (laughs) are the contractors? Where are they coming from? Who's the project manager? All, all of those things. And so um, just a just a shameless plug here. Th- those are the kind of expenditures and things that British Detroit likes to um follow and track. <laughs> so make yeah. sure you you download uh and go log on to com and see some of our accountability reporting. I want to remind folks that you are listening to Authentically Detroit, where we have Brenda Butler. Ida Ford in Alberta, Tensley Talabi, three Eastside queens, Eastside legends on with us having a conversation that you will not hear anywhere else, right? Authentically Detroit is not afraid to give platform to these women and for real talk because these are the issues that folks in the streets are dealing with and are talking about and are coming to these ladies about asking for resources, asking for help and asking for knowledge. But yes, Can I actually- Accountability.
3: Can I follow up with my shameless plug? Yes. These are three leaders on the LEAP Coalition, including two co-chairs of the LEAP Coalition. They are making things happen on the east side. The reason the LEAP Coalition is doing what it's doing is because we have outstanding leaders like these women who are out there monitoring what's happening in our community, devising solutions and holding public officials accountable. So it's not just conversation for us. Can you share what you do on the LEAP Coalition? I'll let anybody speak.
4: Uh, Oh, go go ahead.
3: ahead, Eda.
2: Well, on the LEAP Coalition, we're an organization of neighborhoods and queens and a few kings up in there and organizations and homeowners. And um, what we do is we work together to solve problems for our communities. We, we, we believe at the top of the pyramid is the neighbors, It's the people, power to the people. That's where we are. And we bring all of our information problems from District 5 and 4. And I'm going to tell you, us queens, we pulled off a good one. District five and four city council, we are together united. We are together from Van Dyke, from Mount Elliott, all the way down to Otter Road, and from Jefferson all the way over to Gratiot. And when we have these power and we have these numbers and we are going to be, we want to fight. We fight for our neighbors. We create policy, we create how to make our homes green and safe for our families to live in. And one of the things I can't wait to get started with this year, um, I was trained in big gift fundraising. At my previous job, I retired from at Wayne State. We need $500 million to be divided between ECN and Mac Development and Mac Alive and we can get the job done in our community just give Thank us the you. money yes. we will we can do it and we will be we will hold ourselves accountable we can do it and give people dignity and treat them with dignity and grace and just by using our neighbors because our neighbors know who needs something who doesn't they know everything we have all the systems in place, and this this is my dream right now. Okay. And to get us out there to vote, because we we voted in a nice um, city council, but you need a mayor
3: to go with that. Yeah, you need. All right. you, you, yeah, we got a few years to develop. Then Brenda, what what do we do? You know, I'll go
4: and I'll go, in, our, in these communities is to educate and empower our people. Uh, we have not only received white lives, we have received black lives. And our vision is to empower our people for that which they do not know. Uh, we have, we are planning to do some workshops as COVID allows to teach our people about wealth with their family homes. We want to teach our people how you must have a will or a trust in your family. Why would you not pay a property tax or keep your family home up so that it will be sold back to someone from another country, another state when they can stay into your family. So we are teaching our people generational wealth and how important it is for generational wealth. And one thing on our committee, that, yeah. that is what we're doing in our committed in the league Coalition. We are joining in with uh, Alberta, uh, Edith has a wealth of knowledge in her career, in her experience, in her life. I have the same. Yeah. Uh, Alberta has the same. Uh, so we are putting our heads together to move this community forward.
2: Yes. All right. Yes. Alberta. And we're going to be on your porch as what we- soon as the weather breaks, because that's how the queens get down. We don't sit up inside of ECN or in the common sipping coffee. We come to the liquor store, the gas station, right you over there at the spot. We ain't going to call the police on you, but we got to have to talk.
3: Yeah, you
4: see, she started.
1: I don't know, Um, Alberta. What do we do? I do it all,
3: baby. I'm going to take a different spin on
1: this. We get on our bicycles, okay? I want to see the streets so full of people riding bikes. Yeah, I want to see people stop cursing the bike lanes in the fattest city in America. Damn it, we need to be out here moving.
0: That's oh, right.
1: Man. We want to we move. All right. So that's the call to action
4: huge.
2: Bike. I mean, You need some bikes. Yes. We're going to ride down
1: the Dupont booth. Oh, my God. <laughs> that Duquinson cut going down that hill on Lafayette or Gratiot, You feel like you want to put your hands up off the bike, but don't do that. <laughs> uh, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> and riding the river walk, the river walk from the river. Uh, from Altar Road all the way to the Ambassador Bridge, no other city can claim that. We need to understand what we have. We got to understand it, and understand that we built it and we own it. I
0: right. absolutely love it. Listen, I want to make sure that, um, and I don't, I don't know how else to do it, but that the that the three of you feel. Um, the deep reverence and love that Donna and I have for you all um, and the respect that we have for each of you. Um, we want, we want to verbalize it and we wanted to share uh, with the community why and community listeners, this is why <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to get this kind of discussion uh, anywhere else, especially on a mediated platform here in the sure. So to the honorable Alberta Tinsley Talabi, we honor you. We love you. To the coal miner's daughter, Brenda Butler, who share a story that has my heart in knots. We honor you and we love you. To Miss Edith Fort, who gonna meet us on the street, at the liquor store, or even at the spot.
2: At the, the spot Queen. Of, I'll be up side. in there.
0: We, we honor you and we love you. And we absolutely, absolutely, positively have to have the three of you on again. Thank you for your commitment to our community. Thank you for the, thank you for the fire that you hold, the torch that you carry, and that that lights everybody else's torches. Because I can't tell you how many times I. <laughs> say
3: something real quickly. On yeah. my birthday, I'm not gonna say who. Somebody may giving me a hard time. On my birthday, we had a little event. And Edith and Brenda came to the event and they brought me yellow roses and they, a card signed by some of the people in the neighborhood. And I, I, I still feel good off of that. And my birthday was September 19th. I just want you to know, um, it's the things that matter that make you feel loved and connected and supported. And so it's all love. And, you know, mm. listen... Alberta has dropped me lines and has given me words of praise and encouragement and you keep me lifted. You keep me loving what I do and making commitments. Um, Brenda, you've been educating people and telling them what to do since you were 14 years old and you went to jail for it. So I know nobody's going to stop you now. The thanks All is heartfelt. Right. I think that um, it is what people need. And, um, you know, through the pandemic, through the loss is everything we've had you've been there for for the community yeah thank you
4: thank you it's my pleasure that's what I and I my last name is Butler and that's a servant and I will serve until the day I die for my people yeah
3: and y'all make sure y'all
2: have some bail money ready for us because we about (laughs) ready to go back to jail
3: because oh, that's nice. some stuff going on,
2: and it's about to get I you up. know, know what? I won't put it past and the jail
0: and the jail. I think uh, I think should start please, a fun because I, I, I won't do. put it past any of these ladies <laughs> for getting arrested again. Like, I don't watch <laughs>
2: out for the Queen E got- Queen Slim broadcast as soon as uh, um Orlando get us tightened up. And Donna, we're gonna be back with some more of this. And um, well, it's gonna be fun. We are gonna have everybody in the hood there, even the guys at the liquor
1: store. <laughs> right. hey, Orlando, Orlando, and everyone today, February eighth is February eighth is my only daughter Carla Louise Tinsley Calavi Smith birthday. Oh, oh wait, oh, you just moved us yeah. into shout outs. So shout out to Carla Tinsley Smith.
3: Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, we are you. so honored
3: that you joined us on on her on birthday. Carla's we birthday. Love Carla.
0: Carla's Carla. doing
3: outstanding things at the DIA.
0: Go ahead. Uh, yes. big time. We got to get Carla on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. Donna. Yes, we do. We Brenda do. and Edith, do you all have any shout outs? Um, I'm just
2: gonna um, give a shout out to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. he shout been He's he been bringing us in. Like yes. every time they arrested us and thought they was gonna take us down, we pop up like baby's kids. Right, don't get rid right. of us. We don't get sick. We like to energize and family. So I just thank the Lord for His covering over us because we have been yeah. even in my known neighborhood. I have to had to stop out of here at three o'clock in the morning. We had some neo Nazis or from great Britain that was renting uh Airbnb in the neighborhood. I was so mad and thank God for the homies. Cause somebody called and saw me stopping with my walk that I have when I'm angry and the homies came and helped me and, you know, just keep us in the prayers and remember God is our partner. So we make our plans larger. We are unstoppable. Oh, wow.
4: In the name of Jesus. Also, I like to, um, uh, that the Let our neighbors know that on behalf of Black History Month, we will have a zoom call the week of february twenty second We have not tied down the exact day yet, but we will be honoring hometown heroes in the Chandler Park neighborhood, and our community partners are the brilliant brilliant Detroit and Eastside Community Network. So look forward to participating on that Zoom call so that you can see how strong we are in our communities and how many people are generational that has been in this in these communities for so many years.
0: Mm. Yeah. The people make I us want strong. To shout out, I, I wanna shout out our listeners. Uh, In the very near future, probably by the next episode, in the description, you will see a listener survey that Donna and I are going to be on your head about taking. We want to hear from you as we are approaching 115 episodes. Uh, Donna and I have been in the planning stages of of you know figuring out how to scale and grow our platform and podcast we thank you so much for rocking with us we want to shout out the young people who debuted their very Mm -hmm. first podcast the vaulted uh, team voices who uh released uh last week sponsored by the skillman foundation those young people Mm -hmm. got together in a breakout room and decided that they wanted to come on and talk about why the media portrayal of them and what they do in the city is wrong And they were amazing. They were amazing Mm. calling to account media portrayal of young Black folks in the city of Detroit. So we're so proud of them. We can't wait to see you on the fourth Sunday. Donna, you have any shout outs?
3: I do. I want to shout out um, Jillian DeWitt, who has been the manager for um, community organizing and planning at ECN since 2019. Jillian's last day with ECN will be on Friday. So um, she has kept us tight and organized. She has been motivating and coordinating and you know, just always been willing to help. So we will miss you, Jillian. She was here on a um, Detroit Revitalization Fellowship, which ends later this year, and she mm-hmm. left a little early. Um, I also want to invite people to go um, tour the Charles Wright Museum with us on February 26th. Um, it was uh, a queen idea. And so we bring five King Tut, King Queen Tut. the Queensland King. So we, we're um going on the 26th. If people need transportation, we'll provide it. We've already purchased the tickets, it's free of charge. You don't need a membership. Just show up and let us know. But we can only take 25 people because of COVID. It's a smaller group than we wanted to take, although you know maybe 25 is ambitious. Um we hope to see you there.
0: Oh, can we shout so, out Brown- uh, Donna's uh, significant other, the love of her life, Kevin Davidson, who is of the Director of Design and Fabrication at the Charles H. Wright, who I had the opportunity to put on television this past Sunday and this yes, past Thursday to talk about his work at Charles H. Wright and his relationship with Dr. Wright. Donna, he was good, wasn't he good? He was, <laughs> he was, he was so good.
4: He was very good, he was very good. Uh, I, in fact, I watched it twice, Orlando. Uh, you and he did a great job with that interview. Thank you. And Orlando said it too fast. Mr. <laughs> Davidson is the design director at the Charles H. Wright Museum. All right, all right, all right. He started with uh, Mr. Wright when he was just a young teenager. And over 40 mm-hmm. years, he's been with the Charles H. Wright Museum. So now I see why Donna chose Mr. Davidson. <laughs>
3: And you, All have right, uh, go,
2: you have to go see his exhibits. He yes. has excellent work. Like I took a bunch of us from Western Michigan went and we were in tears. It took us five hours to get out of there. And I know <laughs> it's not supposed to be that long because they came to check on us.
3: But <laughs> he did mention is he um while he was in school full-time when he was working there, getting his degree from the um College of Creative Studies. And so it was a long process for him working full time, working and going to school full time. But he did it. And so I'm so proud of him. And on Sunday, we visited his mom and sister and they got an opportunity to see it. So they were really, you know, it meant so much to his mother. It's just that, you know, it was just really great.
0: Oh, Shout out to Kevin Davidson.
4: And he was he is an Alabama State University alumni.
0: <laughs> there she goes. There we oh,
1: go.
4: I, told you, I told you I watched it twice, Orlando it was- <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh.
0: but we thank you all so much for listening, and thank as always, you. we want you to catch the wave. We'll see you next time
4: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. thank you good night guys.